You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Lock your doors. That's the warning from Surrey RCMP after another disturbing sexual assault, the second this week, and this time a child was attacked. Reporter John Waugh joins us from Surrey tonight, and John, already some good news in this latest attack with a person of interest in custody. Yeah, that's right, Chris. Surrey RCMP do have someone in custody, but that's not a huge comfort for neighbors who are living on 132 A Street who say they're not sure whether this is the same person they confronted while trying to break into their homes around the same time. It's kind of scary as heck. Visibly shaken and deeply concerned, people living in the Surrey neighborhood are in shock after a young girl was sexually assaulted inside her home. I feel really bad for my neighbor. I hope she's fine. Um... I, I see those people coming and going to work all the time. Surrey RCMP say this sexual assault occurred when a man broke into the home on 132 A Street at around 4 o'clock Thursday morning. The suspect fled out the back door after being confronted by another resident of the home. Fortunately, the female victim did not stain, sustain rather any physical injuries. However, she is understandably shaken, as is her family. Police say they do have a person of interest in custody, but are asking the public to still be on the lookout for a suspect described as Caucasian or a light-skinned Indigenous male in his 20s or 30s, about five foot five or five foot six, and very thin, with short, wavy black hair. If you see someone matching the description, please give us a call. Neighbors left to wonder if it's the same man who attempted to break into their homes around the same time. Each saying when confronted, the intruder said he was looking for a friend. I was worried whether he's around me, he's back at me, he could stab me or anything. Pictures of the man that are similar to the description of the assault suspect were obtained by Global News. RCMP requesting they not be released. There is potential to contaminate witnesses by releasing that photo at this time. Residents on this street just hoping for answers. I totally feel unsafe here. <laughs> Left to wonder if the incidents are connected. Unsure if that would be better or worse. Well, John, uh, for those who are wondering, after that other terrifying attack in Alder Grove this week, are police saying if there's any connection between the two? Yeah, we asked that question to Surrey RCMP. They do not believe that the sex assault in Surrey is linked to the Alder Grove incident because the suspect descriptions don't quite match. But they are still asking everyone to be vigilant, to always lock their doors and report anything suspicious. Chris? All right. Let's hope someone has some information. Thanks very much, John. The integrated homicide investigation team has taken over a case involving the death of a Squamish resident. Raina Henry was found dead in her home on March 27th. IHIT took over the case when RCMP determined the circumstances looked suspicious. At this point in the investigation, there is no evidence to link Ms. Henry's death to gangs, drugs, or organized crime. Uh, this was a random incident. Investigators are still working to determine an exact cause of death. They are asking anyone who may have information to come forward. Tragedy today at a worksite in New Westminster. WorkSafe BC is investigating the death of an employee at the Western Transloading Freight Facility on Ewan Avenue. Police say a worker was fatally struck by a semi-truck around 8.30 this morning. Police, along with the BC Coroner Service and WorkSafe BC, are now investigating. 
The owner of a petting zoo in Revelstoke is facing 24 cruelty charges. The charges follow a raid last summer. The farm belongs to James Richard Bruval. Fifteen animals were seized, including this mini horse. According to the SPCA, the animals were suffering from a lack of food, shelter, and proper veterinary care. Disappointment and a warning tonight from a group of would-be homeowners who've waited years to move into their new Langley condos. Back in 2015-16, they put a down payment on their would-be properties, believing it was a done deal. But after a number of delays, the project went into receivership. And now a judge has ruled if they still want their homes, they've got to pay hundreds of thousands more. Jill Bennett explains why. This, this is, is our, our place. place right here. Yeah. Where the patio, the barbecue is going to go here. Chairs over here. Maybe get a little fireplace. The Jansons have become friends with several people who should be their neighbors by now. Instead, they are all caught up in a bitter court battle. It's, it's really discouraging, really disheartening to kind of uh, consider, you know, looking at another place and and just wondering. What if? What could happen? People started buying pre-sale units at Murrayville House in Langley in 2015 and were told it would be ready to move in the following year. The closing date that we had initially agreed to or understood was uh, July of 2016. And so uh, we were excited about the potential of moving in. But the project has been the subject of multiple lawsuits involving lenders and developers. In October of last year, it was put into the hands of a receiver. It was then discovered there were more than 100 potential owners for a 92-unit building. My unit was one that was sold twice. More. Like, it's been sold a total of three times. And I, I bought two years ago, and I've been saving, like, every single penny. And now I can't, I can't afford anything at the current rates. Project lenders are still owed millions. In the latest legal twist, a B.C. Supreme Court justice has ruled the receiver must sell the 40 units at today's market value and refund the deposits to the buyers, but still give them first right of refusal. I've heard numbers of 50% increase in our agreed purchase price to what they would be listed at this point. We trusted the, the process and, and we got burned. There needs to be some kind of protection for consumers. And there is none. And there, there is a none. great lack of protection. There's, there's nothing. Global News reached out to the minister responsible for housing, but was told it is the office of the superintendent of real estate that regulates developers. Jill Bennett, Global News. There's growing frustration and a growing petition tonight against the province's new tax on homes valued more than $3 million. Many of the residents affected are seniors who say they're being unfairly squeezed. Nadia Stewart explains why some feel our aging population is not being taken into account when it comes to new real estate tax policy. Vancouver's west side has been Margot DeLorme's home for decades. But she doesn't know how much longer she and her family can hang on. I feel like I'm being forced out of my own home because we can't pay for it. Should the NDP's proposed tax on homes valued at over $3 million come into effect, she says that 0.2% would pile on to an already hefty property tax bill. It's huge. It's thousands of dollars. And it has skyrocketed in the last five years, I would say. We've, our property value has gone up by millions. Richard Yonker and his wife have been crunching the numbers too. And they estimate it tax uh, impact on us would be $8,400 in after-tax income. But in order to pay that additional amount, I would have to generate 
an additional $14,000. It would also take a chunk out of his old age security. He and Delorme and many other Vancouver seniors feel they're being unfairly targeted. Trying to, in effect, squeeze more money and put pressure on seniors does not really increase the amount of land available in Vancouver. But the government's hope is that it would generate more money for schools. The tax on multi-million dollar properties would affect less than 5% of Metro Vancouver homeowners. That calculation from SFU's Andy Yan, who says more progressive tax schemes are needed. But so too is a plan to allow seniors to age in place. The challenge is actually how do we create a multi-generational city through which uh, we have that diversity of those in ages for those who live in in the city of Vancouver. So that no one is squeezed out. Nadia Stewart, Global News. It was the storybook ending Canucks fans were hoping for. Daniel. Henry. Back for Daniel. Let's it go. He scores! Can't see that moment enough. Not only did the Canucks win their last home game of the season, Daniel Sedin scored his second goal of the night in overtime to win it, assisted, of course, by his brother Henrik. Squire's going to have much more on the game and reaction a little later in sports. The other big winner of the night, this guy, Derek Kai, and two of his friends who scored the record 50-50 jackpot. At over $1 million, they're getting $500,000. The trio says they are long-time season ticket holders and buy 50-50 tickets at every single game. Right now, though, a young Afghan woman disfigured by an unspeakable act of violence is talking to Global News tonight about her long ordeal and her new life here in Canada. 22-year-old Shakila Zareen is now living in Vancouver with her sister and mother after being granted refugee status. Ramina Dea has her story and the special meeting last night that she calls a dream. Shakila Zareen overcome with emotion after meeting this man. Zareen credits the Prime Minister with rescuing her family. I not believe it. <laughs> I am so excited. He is very, very kind. To fully grasp the power of this moment, we need to travel back to Baglan, Afghanistan. Zareen was just 17 when she was forced to marry her cousin, 14 years her senior. The abuse began on her wedding night. I want to shout. Uh, that very night, he hit me very hard. And uh, he sexually uh, assaulted me many times. The violence, normal. The police did nothing. Zareen's husband linked to the Taliban, she says. The teen bride fled to her mother's, but her husband tracked her down, aimed a rifle at her face and pulled the trigger. I lost half of my face. Everything was gone. I lost an eye. I lost parts of the nose, lips, teeth. According to a report in The Guardian last year, Zareen's brother-in-law said she shot herself. Her husband apparently went to jail for 10 months and was released. Fighting for her survival, Zareen spent months in hospital in Kabul in 2013 before being transported to India for multiple reconstructive surgeries. 
Hungry for a chance to start over, the U.S. approved Zarin's asylum application in 2016, but the Trump administration yanked it, the following year citing unexplained security-related reasons. I felt that my case was very special because I was accepted already, and now they were rejecting me, and I thought that's not right. I, I was really feeling bad. Sweden also rejected Zarin's application, but Canada said yes. In January, Burnaby became the family's new home. The Prime Minister, Zarin's new inspiration to help others. I would love to have an opportunity to see, to sit with him and at least provide him with the story about what happened, who I was, I fought with uh, my rights, for my sister's right, for all other women's rights. He's in that one right there, right there. Sweetie. A momentous right meeting there. that there has forever changed this new Canadian's <laughs> life. Romina Dea, Global News. Now, it's a drug that's proven to make a difference in the lives of those battling breast cancer. And just this month, the province decided to cover the cost of Ibrance, a move many have been waiting for. Trouble is, some patients who desperately need it say they're being denied. Jennifer Palma explains why. Karen McLaren and Carol Powell are enjoying life again. They owe their newfound strength to a Pfizer cancer drug, Ibrance. I haven't coughed since January. I haven't had to have a lung drain since January. I'm able to show my dogs again and run around the ring without wheezing and coughing. It's unbelievable what a change it has made to me. I'm out walking, I'm dragon boating again. People that haven't seen me for a while just can't believe how good I am. The life-giving drug costs patients eight grand a month. So when Karen and Carol heard that as of April 1st, the province would be covering eyebrows, they were ecstatic until they found out they didn't qualify. Hundreds of women are going to be denied and have been denied in the last couple of days. Who are these people to get to choose who lives and who dies? Because that, this statement here, that's them deciding that, oh no, you've done chemotherapy. Oh no, you've done previous systemic therapies. You're not covered now. And unless you can afford it, you're dead. Both women have metastatic breast cancer. Ibrance seems to be working for them, but the province says it's only following Health Canada's lead. The scientific literature shows that this drug, unfortunately, isn't a cure. However, it can slow the progression of some types of cancer. And it's for those types of cancer that it is being funded for. Karen says the fight is only beginning. She won't stop until all patients can have provincial coverage for Ibrance. We all deserve a chance at extending our lives. We just need this to keep going. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Preparing for the worst, hoping for the best. Several Okanagan communities are busy preparing for possible flooding. Crews in Kelowna have begun clearing out flood-prone creeks to increase the stream flow. And staff are getting ready to place sandbags or those big bladder dams in some areas. The snowpack is 131% of normal, but it all will depend on how quickly it melts and how much rain will fall. And coming off a summer that broke a record for wildfire damage and expense, this is definitely not the news interior communities want to hear. Government scientists say early forecasts show a hot and dry summer. 
And as Linda Aylesworth reports, that means another active forest fire season. And so it begins, the first glowing embers of BC's 2018 wildfire season. But grass fires like this recent one near Chase aren't as big a concern as the ones that might come later in the season. Predicting them is the job of fire research analyst Richard Carr. Is it going to be warmer than normal, cooler than normal, wetter, drier, that type of thing? So we use those types of outputs to try to predict if there's going to be more fire activity. His early predictions for the 2018 fire season, May looks pretty good so far. As for June... I'm looking at possibly increased fire activity through the, the southern half and then up along the Alberta-BC border towards Northwest Territories. The forecast for July, also with a higher than usual wildfire risk. And August looks much the same. But BC's Wildfire Service says that while long-range forecasts are helpful, you can't exactly count on them. Rain is such a huge factor in terms of wildfire activity and predicting rain more than a few days ahead of time is, uh, is unfortunately a tricky thing to do. It was the same last year when we endured the worst wildfire season in recorded history. 1.2 million hectares of land were burned, 65,000 people evacuated from their homes. It really wasn't until late June of last year when we saw just how unusually dry June was that we, we realized that we had the potential for a bad season ahead of us. There is something they can use to help predict aspects of the fire season in advance. Snowpacks, one thing we didn't have much of last year. Really what the snowpack tells us though, not necessarily how intense the season's going to be, but how soon it could start. And since there's plenty of snow in much of the province this year, chances are it won't be an early fire season. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. The bright idea to outlaw incandescent light bulbs hasn't exactly led to the revolution in lighting we hoped for. Turns out many British Columbians are hanging on to the old inefficient bulbs. Couple that with our decreasing participation in Earth Hour, and our reputation as a green community is getting pretty dim. Here's Ted Chernecki. You need decent lighting if you're going to make jewelry, and here in a downtown Vancouver workshop, the illumination of choice is the light-emitting diode. Some of the bulbs that are in the desk lamps, they're from Ikea. Um, they, have, they look like an incandescent bulb, but they're, they're an LED as well. Ottawa had a bright idea more than a decade ago. Today, business gets it, but apparently many homeowners don't. The federal government has been trying to eradicate all incandescent light bulbs since 2007, like years ago if you're an environmentalist. And about 80% said that they're still using at least one incandescent bulb in their home. And of those that are using one, on average, they have about 17 incandescents in their home. The problem is part the cheap cost of existing incandescents and part being aware of how LED technology has evolved. I have no idea because I haven't had to replace them. I cheat, yeah. You cheat? I do. Uh, it depends on where the light is. If it's in my garage, yeah. yeah. I'll go to the dollar store and I'll nickel and dime. You can get an LED for about $3 right now. Pre-LED days, it used to cost Norburn Lighting on Hastings about $3,000 a month to light up the place with incandescence. Now their bill is cut by more than half. There is a misconception that LED is quite blue and harsh and institutional. It's definitely improved significantly over the last few years. It's a lot warmer. It is a lot more pleasing to be in a home for sure. Then there's the flexibility of LEDs. Try doing this with incandescence. A lot of the fixtures, the LEDs incorporated into it, it's integral to the fixture, like this one here. BC Hydro estimates the average homeowner would save $1,000 over 10 years by going all-in, all-LED. 
Ted Schenecki, Global News. The earth has opened up in a heavily traveled area of Kenya. Huge cracks appearing after weeks of rain, flooding and tremors, forcing a number of families to flee their homes. Geologists warn the cracks could spread with more rain in the forecast. And some even speculate they're the start of a split in the earth that could eventually run the length of the African continent and literally split it in two. The former Russian spy poisoned in the UK last month is doing better and no longer in critical condition. Sergei Skripal and his daughter have been in a British hospital since they were poisoned with a nerve agent in the English city of Salisbury. The UK and Canadian governments both agree Russia was likely involved. Doctors say the 66-year-old former spy is no longer in critical condition and his 33-year-old daughter Yulia is now conscious and talking. Russia continues to deny having anything to do with the poisoning. Facebook taking more steps tonight to restore confidence among its users that private information will be protected. The site also says it will prevent users with phony accounts from hiding their true identity. Tonight, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg promising to hire thousands of more people to verify political ads so users can see where they come from and who is paying for them. Facebook also forcing users with big followings to verify their identities, saying they will make it a lot harder for anyone to do what the Russians did during the 2016 election. I don't believe today's actions by Facebook will completely stop what the Russians did in 2016 and what they're planning on doing in 2018. That's a good step in the right direction. In an exclusive interview with Savannah Guthrie on Today, Facebook's second-in-command, Sheryl Sandberg, apologized for the Cambridge Analytica scandal that exposed as many as 87 million users' information. At the time, we got multiple assurances from them that the data had been deleted. Now, We should have done the forensic audit we're doing now then, for sure. Sandberg says Facebook is likely to find more problems. Could you have an opt-out button? Please don't use my profile data for advertising. We have different forms of opt-out. We don't have an opt-out at the highest level. That would be a, a, a paid product. But Facebook currently has no plans to offer that. Apple CEO Tim Cook disagrees with the way Facebook makes money. We've never believed that these detailed profiles of people that have uh, incredibly deep personal information that is patched together from several sources uh, should exist. Next week, Zuckerberg will testify on Capitol Hill. Lawmakers will be demanding answers. Some startling new video released in Florida after the conviction of a man arrested in 2016 shows police officers in a gun battle rescuing three children and their mother. Deputies in Volusia County return fire when 27-year-old Emmanuel Rosado shoots from inside the family's home. Rosado's wife crawls away, bleeding from a gunshot wound. The officers find Rosado's two daughters and son crying in the backyard and get them to safety before arresting Rosado, who finally surrenders. He was convicted of attempted murder. In Health Matters tonight, a new Vancouver study has come to an unexpected conclusion on how to treat drug overdose patients. That comes as conflicting new statistics are released on the overdose crisis. The coroner says overdose deaths are trending down province-wide, with 102 people dying in March, 
down from 126 in January and 122 in February. But in Vancouver alone, there were 32 deaths last month. That's up from 27 in March of last year. And while health officials still struggle with the death toll, St. Paul's doctors have some surprising new recommendations for treating people who do survive. Aaron MacArthur reports. On the streets of the downtown east side, overdoses are so common, just about everyone who works here carries naloxone. Having the opioid antidote close at hand has saved countless lives, and it could keep people out of the ER. It's an extra barrier to people to find themselves in the ER, far away from their their friends, their support networks, their community. And so if it's possible to to give people care in the the community, it's good. A new study headed by UBC researchers and doctors in the St. Paul's Emergency Department followed fentanyl patients over the last few months and discovered that if someone is given naloxone in the community and is treated by paramedics on scene, by the time they get to emergency, most patients are stable and can be discharged in just a couple of hours. A number of physicians initially were very cautious about sending patients home uh, that ultimately would be safe to send home, but I think as a result of this, uh, we all feel comfortable that patients can be, uh, do not have to be kept for prolonged periods of observation. The key to all of this is community-based care. Without it, patients would need to be in hospital for much longer tying up scarce resources. According to physicians who work with vulnerable people, the next step is to provide non-acute care centers to monitor overdose patients. The ER can be very uncomfortable for people who use drugs. It can be uncomfortable for us all. Uh, and I think having it in a community-based setting that is specifically for overdose management would be ideal. Out of more than a thousand patients involved in this study, there was just one death. Someone who refused to take home a naloxone kit. The study giving the medical community a set of guidelines to follow in the event of a spike of opioid overdoses. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. After years of sitting vacant, Victoria's former Maritime Museum will be transformed. Plans are in the works to create a shared community art space in the old Heritage Building, located in the historical Bastion Square. The project is in the early stages, but the city plans to partner with the provincial and federal governments to bring the building up to new standards. The goal is to create a, a hub where artists can workshop ideas, create and perform and revitalize the area. For a lot of people, there's no real reason to go to the square. And it should be sort of the heart of that part of downtown. And Many times the arts are used as a revitalizing agent, uh, not only for heritage buildings, but also for downtowns in themselves. An 80-year-old man is robbed at gunpoint after the forecast, the unlikely hero who stepped in to stop it. We'll get to that right after we check in with Christy for uh, the weather and a sure sign as well, Christy, of spring. Yes, so nice to see. So I checked in a couple of days ago, Grouse Mountain, Grizzly Bears, Kula and Grinder, and they weren't out, but today when I checked back, they were coming out of their den. Let's have a quick look. There they are there, all cuddled up, but you can see certainly moving around, and they may have come out yesterday or the day before, I'm not, I'm not sure, but certainly just in the last couple of days, they're starting to move and make their way out of their den so nice to see. A little, little groggy, maybe, but looking good. Yeah, not moving. <laughs> yeah, he's slow. <laughs> a little slow there. All right, I'll head out. 
Uh, but yes, sir, certainly nice to see, as was the sunshine just before sunset. I wasn't sure if we were going to see the breaks before sunset, but it sure is nice to see. Don't get too excited, though, everyone. Yes, we are in for rain. Keep those umbrellas handy. Rain overnight, and it is going to be very heavy. I'll show you how much is expected in a second. But we're also going to see very windy conditions. So that will build overnight, and it will continue through the morning hours tomorrow. But things should ease off later on in the day. But you can see how heavy it is by 5 a.m. across the region. In the afternoon, we continue with periods of rain, but it becomes much spottier across the region. The bulk of it will be up and along the North Shore. If you're in areas like White Rock, you can expect a much drier afternoon. But a good 20 to 40 millimeters of rain expected by the end of the day tomorrow along the west coast of Vancouver Island, up to 70 millimeters of rain. And the winds beginning through the morning hours, uh, peaking all along these uh, inner coast regions, especially down towards Turner Island and to Wasson, potentially up to 70, 80 K. So we certainly could see delays with the ferries and we could see some power outages. There's your forecast for your Saturday, clear and cold still across northern regions, but things will warm up for you in the coming days. Across the south, mainly rain. North of Kamloops, still the possibility of snow through the overnight hours. That's the Caribou region and up into, or sorry, east into the east Kootenai region. So Golden and Cranbrook. Wet across this region with uh, windy conditions as well. We'll see wet weather in through the morning hours on Sunday, but breaks of sunshine late Sunday and Monday looking mainly dry. And here's a look at our weather window from tonight or for tonight. Jerry sent us this from Moberly Lake, which is near Chetwin, just north of Chetwin. It was a beautiful day despite the fact that it is very chilly in that area. Oh, that looks beautiful. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Thanks. We have some breaking news that we need to pass along now. Emergency responders are on scene at a very serious bus crash in Saskatchewan that involves a minor hockey team. And RCMP have just confirmed there are fatalities. The Humboldt Broncos were on their way to play the Nippon Hawks when their bus collided with a semi-truck along the highway just north of Tisdale. Early reports are that the semi-truck blew through an intersection. Stars Air Ambulance has been dispatched but the number of patients and extent of their injuries has not been released. But we will have updates online and later on the news tonight at 11. In the meantime, caught on camera, an 80-year-old man in Indianapolis finds himself on the wrong end of a gun with a man demanding his money. The senior, who doesn't want his name released, tells the robber he has no money, so the thief starts to search the senior's pockets. The victim yells for help and... Out runs the rescuer, his older brother, who's 85 years old. He hits the robber in the head with a wrench. The thief drops the money, and luckily for the two seniors, he takes off, still carrying his gun, of course. Well, now to a dramatic and unusual rescue effort. It's unbelievable, but, you know, with this day in society, I think everybody loves a feel-good story. No kidding, pun intended. Two goats were trapped on an eight-inch wide beam underneath the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Tuesday morning, the goats were spotted by police who called in state workers to help. Using a crane with a bucket on the end, they managed to rescue one of the goats, but the other wasn't too keen and ended up hoofing it down to safety on his own. The pair had escaped from a local farm. The owner was on scene during the rescue and took the bad kids home. Wow. I'm very sorry about that, but anybody who appreciates a pun will appreciate writing. Thank you, Tim Perry, for that as well. (laughs) How are you, sir? I'm good. What a night last night. 
who would have thought it was as if it was scripted? Yeah. It's been a magical night honoring the past last night. Now it's time to look ahead. Yes, the future has won a big award. Vancouver Canucks rookie Adam Gaudet has been named the Hobie Baker winner. That goes to the best player in U.S. college hockey this past season. Think of it as hockey's Heisman. He came to the Canucks after finishing the season with Northeastern University, where he obviously had a great season, led the entire NCAA in scoring, 30 goals, 30 assists, and 38 games. Finished on a roll, 10 points in his last 11 games, 20 in his last 24 college games. Signed a three-year deal with the Canucks, not bad, for a fifth-round draft pick. Well, to go over everything the Sedins have done for the Vancouver Canucks would take way more time than we're allotted. But here is one tidbit. Because they announced their retirement on Monday, they made two meaningless home games meaningful. And last night's won't ever be forgotten. It wasn't a playoff game, but you wouldn't have known it from the emotion in the building. Here he comes. Cuts to the middle. Edler, Daniel, scores! Wow. Canucks fans have seen the Twins make magical plays for 17 seasons and we're hoping they could see one more great example of that in the finale. So when they scored the spectacular goal early in the second, the night was already a success. But the Sedins and the hockey gods figured this finale needed to go beyond special and they delivered in storybook fashion in overtime. Back for Daniel. Let's it go, he scores! It's just a, a night that we will remember for forever and our family and and all the friends we had as well. So it's uh, couldn't ask for more. Yeah, it was the perfect ending, but uh, in some way I'm not surprised that Danny scored a game winner and Hank passed. So that's usually what they do. It means a lot that Alex and, and Hank was on the ice, uh, both too. Uh, Alex and Bo are big part of the future uh, moving forward here. So it's uh, yeah, it means a lot. It was truly a celebration. Fans showered the Sedins with standing ovations literally every time they hit the ice. They cheered every cycle, every back pass, and it wasn't just the crowd that enjoyed the show. Congratulations, eh? Thank you so much. All of us fans from Vancouver were very fortunate to watch them for 18 years, and um, I was right in that boat too, being a fan. Um, very fortunate to spend two years as a teammate rather than be able to watch it from the outskirts so uh, it's something I really embrace and something I cherish and um, they're two great leaders that I'm very proud to learn from. Just to see what they mean to the to the city and, and to the team and to experience it is uh, you know it's special it's special for me it's for our players uh, for anyone that was at the game it, it was really an unbelievable night. The Sedins still have one more game to play in Edmonton it's hard to believe they can duplicate the magic of last night. One thing they won't miss is all of this attention. A lot of guys have been so supportive throughout this, and uh, now they can stop being nice to us in the paper so they can <laughs> tell the truth. The truth is they're the two greatest Canucks ever, and they proved it yet again in their grand finale. Barry DeLay, Global Sports. Absolutely. There's the ball of the biggest Canuck fan in the Masters field. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin. On the 10th, that's not easy, no matter where you are, but it's extra tough at the Masters. It does a good job there to save par. 15th needs another good shot here. Just judged it beautifully through the fridge grass. Easily the best of the day. From Double bogeyed 18, shot a 75, but 
Tied for 18th, Adam Hadwin is. Tiger Woods, he'll play in the weekend, but he's a way back. No, 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 it's the Masters. You can't chuck your club. Splash down par. Well, he shot 75 today, four over, but did made the cut by one. The number one player in the world is Dustin Johnson. This for Eagle. He's at minus three. It's good for a tie for six going into the weekend. I think it's 29 of the last 30 winners have been within the top 10 after two rounds. And here's your leader, Patrick Reed. Nine birdies today, 66. Two ahead of Mark Leishman at nine under par. Spieth and McElroy are at four under par. Whitecaps, Salt Lake tomorrow in Salt Lake. There you go. All right. Squire, we've got uh, satellite debris still around. So we do. Leave. First, here's Kasia Badurka with five things to do this weekend. Kasia? Yeah, it's hard not to miss the cherry blossoms are in full bloom, and that's where we begin today's list of five things. The Vancouver Cherry Blossom Festival is on all month with many ways to appreciate the blossoms, including tree talks and walks, the Cherry Jam downtown concert, and the big picnic at Queen Elizabeth Park. Rod Stewart is coming back to Vancouver Tuesday. After over 45 years in the limelight, fans are saying he's still got it with his latest tour. It's energetic and fresh as he brings to the stage a young group of enthusiastic singers and a mix of young and older members to his 12-piece band. The Tri-City Spring Home Expo is happening this weekend with the newest and the best of everything for your home and garden. With over 180 exhibits, this free event will surely have something for everyone. Now this one's for the kids. Bring your kid up to six years of age to the free annual Early Years Festival where they'll have fun playing games, making crafts, or playing in the bouncy castle while parents learn about community resources for kids. Has your young one experienced classical music yet at its finest? The Vancouver Symphony Orchestra holds kids' concerts, fun, kid-centric shows for those ages 4 to 11 years. This weekend, they present Magic Circle Mime. For more, head to globalnews.ca slash five things. This program is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners, plus get the best roadside assistance. It's Masters Week, so of course you want Eagles... But not on the baseball diamond. You're on fire today. <laughs> hey, so uh, in Minnesota the other day, they wanted to have this very majestic opening to the twin season. So they brought a bald eagle out, and he was supposed to fly around the stadium and land at the pitcher's mound. It didn't quite work out that way. Uh, James Paxton, the starting pitcher for the Mariners, who is from Ladner, he's one of ours. He's standing in the outfield minding his own business when suddenly this eagle... No, you're, so bo- you're supposed to go to the pitcher's mound. I'm not the pitcher's mound. I'm just the pitcher. You got it mixed up. <laughs> they said mound, not pitcher. It's lucky because, quite frankly, that eagle's talons could hurt him. Could have turned his back into a sprinkler. Like, <laughs> and James Paxson said, "I knew I wasn't going to outrun the eagle, so I just tried to be as still as possible and hope that I don't get punctured." He didn't get punctured, so he's a lefty. Too isn't he? He's so a, is it? Is he a righty or a lefty? Because he's it, a lefty. I the guy was going that. after his. Yeah. Well, he's, yeah. The Eagles are Twins fan, so he's trying to injure the other pitcher. <laughs> okay. So here we go. Uh, this is from Toyota. Um, talks about car shopping and the things that bother you when you do. Here we go. Today's the day you buy a new car. If only those bothers would stay away. No. There's the pressure to buy before it's gone, Bobber. Buy it. Buy it. Buy 
buy it. Not yet. Buy it. Not yet. Not ready. That's four dollars, please. The I've got to learn to heckle bother. Two dollars, take it or I'll walk. Two dollars, take it or I'll walk. <laughs> <laughs> Offer him free. Three dollars? The I just can't get away to buy a car bother. <gasps> oh, 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 stress drive bother. possibly get to know a car in five minutes. And in creeps, buyer's remorse. That bother can ruin your day. You deserve a better car buying experience. What did you think? Why don't you take it home and bring it back tomorrow? Can I? Yeah. Got all the details? Introducing the Toyota Drive Happy Project. Leave your bothers behind. Actually, the bothers should be given their own movie. Uh, okay, so here's another car commercial from Kia. Hamster in a diaper? This hamster is a hamster in a diaper. diaper. <laughs> Who doesn't love a hamster in a diaper? Here yeah. we go. the greatest hamster in a diaper chase I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly well. the, the imagery I'm certain Lemmy was thinking and about. And Lemmy in the background laying down some ace of spades. 